0: Very much. You may be seated. Let's take the Word of God together uh, this morning and turn once again to the New Testament book of Luke, if you would. And this is that week that some people call the Week of Passion, or some call it the uh, Holy Week. Uh, It is a week that is remembered by the approaching days, the events leading up to the crucifixion of our Savior, and ultimately his resurrection. And uh, that is, for the Christian, the resurrection of Christ is the single greatest event that we have ever known, the day when Christ Jesus rose from the grave. And of course, we know that his resurrection is preceded by his death and his suffering. And we'll talk about that later this week. But sometimes we forget that it was for this very reason that Jesus came to this earth. He came for one purpose, to die and to be risen again. In fact, he tells us the last verse of our text this morning, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Can everybody hear me okay back there? I can barely hear myself. So, He came for one reason, to seek and to save that which was lost. This was his purpose. Some people think Jesus came to be a good example now, he left us a good example when he came. But that wasn't his reason. Some people think he came to heal the sick. He did heal the sick, and to which we rejoice and are glad when we read about it. But that was not his goal and his purpose. His goal and his purpose was not just to be a good example, not just to heal the sick, not just to cast out devils, not even just to teach. But he came ultimately to seek And to save that which was lost. And this morning if you are here. And you have never been born again. If you are still what the Bible calls lost. Then you can hear this morning. With assurance. That Christ Jesus came. To seek. And to save. You. I spoke with many people this week. Many of them came with questions like this. But how do I know that he died for me? How do I know if I can be saved? How do I know that he's looking for me? To which I usually respond, are you lost? Well, yes. I read in the Bible that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you know that you're lost, well you can thus conclude Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost, he came to seek and to save me. The Bible says Christ died for the ungodly. I've said this week to many are you ungodly? Yes, many would say hanging their head in shame. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for me. Many things like this that direct us and guide us when considering these things. This is the one reason Christ came. Some people act like uh, that if we're too liberal, and what I mean by that is too free in giving the gospel, we might get the wrong person saved. Pretty preposterous idea, isn't it? Can you imagine standing before God one day? By the way, I would rather stand before God one day and God say to me, you told too many people about my love than to stand before him and him say, why didn't you tell more? I'd rather stand before him and say, you invited too many people to come to the Savior rather than stand before him and say, why did you not open up the door widely and tell and compel people to come in? Which one would you rather be guilty of? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. We forget sometimes that because Christ Jesus was God in the flesh, he knew everything that was going to happen. And in fact, it's it's quite interesting. When you begin reading the scriptures in context of the purpose of Jesus, you, you begin to see that he knew that he came to die. And he was thinking about it and talking about it quite frequently. In fact, if you go all the way back to Luke chapter 9, look at this just briefly with me. I'll show you something very interesting. All the way back in Luke chapter 9 in verse number 51, it came to pass that when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Why? He sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, and they did not receive him. Because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. All the way back in Luke chapter 9, Jesus has already got his eyes fixed on Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where he was going to die. And his whole life was pushing and pressing towards this one event, the death on the cross for our sins. If you fast forward to Luke chapter 13, few more pages down the road. And in verse number 22, we read once again. And he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. All that he was doing, everything that he did in healing the sick and casting out devils and teaching and preaching, all of it was a part of his journey towards Jerusalem. All of a part of a bigger plan and a bigger purpose, which was to die for sinners Chapter 17, verse number 11, again, we find this same pattern. It came to pass as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, all along the way, never forgetting his purpose, never forgetting where he's going. Every stop and every village, every town and every, every community, always knowing where he was going. In chapter 18, in verse number 31, we find once again. He took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the son of man shall be accomplished. He shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on and they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. He was telling his disciples what was going to happen. This was always in his mind. I'm headed to Jerusalem. I must go to Jerusalem. The time is coming. By the way, somebody once said it like this. Jesus Christ was always, always, always working, but never in a hurry. I like that thought. Always busy, but never in a hurry. Never in a rush. Sometimes we can be so busy, rushing, rushing, rushing. And in our busyness and in our rushing, we miss opportunities, don't we? That doesn't mean we should sit back and sit down on the sofa and watch telly. But what it does mean is that in our steady work for the Lord, we take time for people. Christ was headed to Jerusalem. But when you read this, you see him stopping here to talk to this person. Stopping here at the woman at the well to talk to her about her soul. Stopping here to to, to meet with this one or these ones. Never in a rush, but always busy about his father's business. That should be us. That should be us. And in his journey, he's just told his disciples that he is heading towards Jerusalem to die. And we come to this beautiful story in Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. I was looking at a map here today. Jericho is is one of the the towns not far from Jerusalem. It's about uh, northeast, just a little bit northeast of Jerusalem come through Samaria and Galilee and, and passing through Jericho headed towards Jerusalem ultimately heading towards Jerusalem but he makes this pit stop just like he made a pit stop for the woman at the well he makes this detour or this pit stop here for this one man look here for one moment if you and I are too busy to stop for souls you're too busy If you are too busy in all that you do in your business or your studies or your work, if you're too busy to stop for lost souls, you are too busy and you're wasting and missing opportunities. Oh, but I've got to do this. And when I get all of this done, then I'll be ready. No, 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 no. All along the way, all through the week, in every opportunity, every open door, And here comes Jesus through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. Now, I love this story. The children sometimes learn a song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. beautiful story. It's a wonderful story of God's grace. Let's look at it this morning. Just three very quick thoughts. And here's the first thought. The Bible says in verse 1, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Let me tell you what this signifies to me. That Christ, although he intentionally came through Jericho, he wasn't going to be there for long. And here's what this tells me. That when God moves... You do not have all the time in the world to obey. When Christ passes through, when he speaks to your heart, when he deals with you and convicts you about something, you do not have all the time in the world to wait around and think about it before you decide whether you're going to obey. In fact, you could say, one, one author, Paul said, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. Meaning, at just the right time, Jesus was born into the history of humanity. But you could also take that individually to every act and miracle of Christ. At just the right time, in the fullness of time, Christ Jesus came through Jericho. How many of you remember, at just the right time, when Christ Jesus passed through your life? How many of you remember when things in your life were, were put together and all the planets aligned in your life, as it were, at just the right moment and the Savior passed through? Some of us act like we've got all the time in the world and, and uh, whenever we want to, we can decide we're going to follow Jesus and, and uh, some of you maybe, maybe here today are lost and you're waiting for some sign or some special thing and you're, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I've got time. And uh, you know, I really sensed the Lord's presence last time, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait until He gives me another sign. I'm gonna wait until I come to faith in Jesus before I lay down my life and give my life to Him. I'm gonna wait for another sign, a bigger sign. But can I tell you, Christ Jesus entered and passed through Jericho? He didn't live in Jericho. And it is foolish for you to think you've got more time. Some of you say, Well, I wanna serve God. But I, you know what I' got a few things I want to do first I want to travel the world or or I, I want to do I want to make sure I get my home established and, and I want to get buy a nice house and get all the nice furniture and all the things I needed and, and I want to have a nice family then i 'll start serving God listen if you don't serve him now you may never have the chance. Jesus entered and passed through speaking of urgency Paul writes to the Corinthian church in his Second letter recorded in scripture, some believe to be his third letter. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, we then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Hold hold on for just a moment. Do you hear that, Christian? It's possible for you to receive the grace of God in vain. What's he mean? For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. Now what's Paul saying that you could receive the grace of God in vain? Well, he's speaking to believers, first of all. He's saying that you can, it is possible, for someone to receive the grace of God, to be born again by the Spirit of God, and then never do anything with that grace. To be a receiver, a taker, and never a giver. To gladly say, thank you, Lord, for dying for me. Thank you for shedding your blood to wash away my sins. Thank you for your marvelous grace. I receive it, and I'm glad of it, but I'm going to continue to live the life I want to live. You've received it in vain. And then Paul adds this parenthesis. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. And in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And Paul adds this in the context of being an ambassador for Christ. In the context of being one who has received reconciliation and received the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation. Now he recognizes, I've received it to do something with it. And he adds this verse. It's a verse quoted from the Old Testament scriptures in Isaiah chapter forty-nine. He quotes this verse because what he is saying is this: Look, today's the day to work. Amen. Remember what Jesus said: "I must work the works of Him that sent me, while it is day." Because, as Paul says here, "I've heard thee in the, accept, in the time accepted, and in the day of salvation, have I called thee." Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Do you know one of Satan's favorite words is tomorrow? You hear me? If today you're here and you're still dead in your sins, you're still lost, you're still not sure about whether you will follow Christ or not. Can I tell you that Satan would be happy for you to believe like this idea and to think in your mind that you will come to Christ? That doesn't bother Satan as long as you don't do it now. If he can put in your mind that tomorrow looks better than today, if he can put in your mind when you feel more ready than you go, oh, he'll be happy with that. That's no problem. Because he realizes that tomorrow will turn into tomorrow and that'll turn into tomorrow and you'll never come. Until tomorrow never comes. One of Satan's favorite words is tomorrow. But one of God's favorite words is today. Now. God I believe is a God of today. Because we know not what a day may bring forth. We don't know what shall be on the morrow. And so therefore God is a day. A God of today. Today. I love this thought. Why put off for tomorrow what could be done today? We plan our lives as if we've got all the time in the world and the truth of the matter is you and I don't have any idea what circumstances may come tomorrow. You don't know if you're even going to be alive tomorrow and you don't know how dramatically or drastically everything could change tomorrow. In Isaiah 49 and verse number five, the prophet says, "And now saith the Lord, that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him, though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glo-. watch this, though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength." And he said, "It is a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel." I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth thus saith the Lord the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One to him whom man despiseth to him whom the nation abhorreth to a servant of rulers kings shall see and arise princes also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel and he shall choose thee and thus saith the Lord In an acceptable time have I heard thee. And in a day of salvation have I helped thee. And I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth to cause to inherit the desolate heritage. At just the right time that thou mayest say to the prisoners, go forth. To them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. They shall not hunger or thirst, and neither shall the heat nor the sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them. Even by the springs of water shall he guide them. Now's that time. In fact, Jesus stood up. Do you remember in Luke? Jesus stood up and said, this day is this word fulfilled. Now is the accepted time acceptable year of the Lord. I wonder this morning, do you realize you're running out of time? C.T. Studd, the great Scottish cricketer, you've heard that name before? He was a, a one of the sons of a very wealthy man, and he was due to inherit all of that inheritance, and he gave it all up to be a missionary. And he wrote a song. People thought he was a fool. His father was converted at a mission led by D.L. Moody. And after his conversion, C.T. Studd was converted and his, and his brothers. And he wrote a song that said, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. We sometimes sing it as a hymn. But these people began to realize time is running out. If you're lost, today's the day to be saved. If you are saved, today's the day to serve him. Today's the day to give him your all. Now look in our text. Not only do we recognize the fullness of time, but look at the favor of Almighty God. Here come this little man. I love this story. Jesus passing through Jericho and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief among the publicans. You know about the publicans. They were tax collectors. They were were sharks. Uh, you could say they were the greatest fraudsters, extortioners that Israel ever knew. They had betrayed their own people, working for the Roman government, robbing from their own people, putting half the money in their pockets, giving the other half to the Roman government and the Roman government didn 't care, and they were hated by all the Jewish people they were looked at as being traitors and thieves. Here come this this chief of the publicans, the chief of sinners. And he was rich. He made himself rich off of all of God's people. And he sought, look at this verse. I want you to hear these words. He sought to see Jesus, who he was. Would you look here for a moment? Are you seeking Christ? Some of you may not be saved, but the question is are you searching for the Savior? Maybe that's why you're here or maybe you're you're watching the live stream. But this young man wanted to find Jesus and find out who he was. But the Bible says he couldn't. I wonder how many times, I wonder how many times a minister, a supposed minister of the word of God have hindered people from coming to the Savior by telling them they could not come. Jesus told us to make sure we do not hinder little ones from coming to Christ. Don't put a stumbling block in front of them, and that doesn't just mean little ones. That means from the littlest to the oldest, we ought to never make it hard for people to come to Christ. For some churches and some denominations, you've got to jump through hoops, and and uh, you've got to be um, there's so many obstacles you've got to run in order before you can ever come to Christ. We ought to do all we can to make the way clear, the pathway plain, so that you can run to the Savior without any hindrance. And here was a little man who could not. Somebody probably told him, you're too little. You're too short. And by the way, he knew he was too short. But that didn't stop him. Someone says, you can't come to God. You can't come to God because of your sins. And maybe you know that and you feel it, but it shouldn't stop you. The little man couldn't see who he was. He couldn't because of the press, because of the crowd, because he was of little stature. But that did not stop him. He did everything he could to find the Savior. And so should you this morning if you're lost. If you don't know if you're saved today, you want to do everything you can to find him. The Bible says he ran before and he climbed up into a tree to see him. For he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. Now, the amazing thing to me is this. The amazing thing is, all the while, Zacchaeus thought he was looking for Jesus. And really, you see that Jesus had come looking for him. And when you realize that, that long before you were ever interested in finding him, he was interested in finding you. When you realize that, you just understand something about the love of God. How vast is his love? We sang it a moment ago. And when Jesus came to the place, Jesus came to that place, he knew where Zacchaeus was. He knew that here was a man looking for him. By the way, if Zacchaeus had never climbed in that tree, he may never have been saved. And someone says, I don't know what to do. Look, if you had not walked into the flap of this tent, maybe you wouldn't be saved. But this man knew he had to do everything he could to find this man. He'd heard about this man. He wanted this man. I know people who for years have been sitting there waiting for God to do something sitting there hoping that God would visit them. Well, I can't come to Jesus, so I'm going to sit here and wait that he comes to me. Not this man. No, no, this man said, I'm going to get as close to him as I possibly can. I'm going to do all I can do to get to him. By the way, that shouldn't stop with just the unconverted. As a child of God, we ought to do all we can to get near to God. Draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. Jesus Christ knew where he would find Zacchaeus, and he went there that day. And look what the scriptures say. The favor of God is so precious. Look, no one is too bad for God to save. Are you listening? We humans are very strange people. Knowing the truth about ourselves, we very often criticize and condemn someone else. And when somebody walks into a church or a place of worship and they're not just quite like we are or like we think we are, then we have this tendency to criticize them. If their life is lived a little bit more recklessly than ours or they're living in, living in more open sin than we are, then we have a tendency to judge and criticize them. But I want you to see for just a moment that the, the favor of God, the grace of God extends to the worst of sinners. By the way, if that wasn't true, not one of us would be saved today. The grace and favor of God extends to the worst. No one is too bad to be saved. And what is impossible with man is possible with God. We look at people sometimes, we think that person could never be saved. They're never going to be any different. They're never going to be changed. I was speaking with a dear sister here at one of the meetings this week in tears. And she asked me to pray. And she was struggling with, with a relationship with her father, and uh, her father has not been a very nice man, in fact, trying to keep his family from coming to Christ. and it bothers her, angers her. And I suppose in some, some regards, it's okay to be angry if someone's trying to keep children from coming to the Savior, but you've got to ask the Lord to help you. And don't give up. that man's blind. He's lost. He needs to be saved. He can't understand what you understand. We prayed together. She sent me a text message this morning. God had spoken her through a passage of scripture in the Old Testament that says God shall turn the hearts of the, of the fathers to their children. What hope that brings to be reminded that God can change the hardest of heart. You look at sometimes, you look at people and say they can never be saved. No, no, no. Let me give you Hebrews 7. Listen to this verse, please, for just a moment. This is one of my favorite verses Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Jesus is able to save you to the uttermost if you would only come to God through him. He's able. Somebody once said it like this He's able to take us from the guttermost to the uttermost. Able to reach down and pluck us from the gutter of sin and put us into the arms of our dear God who loves us and sent his son to die for us. And he's able to save us completely, not just halfway. The door of hope which the gospel gives to sinners, is very much wide open. And may God help us as his children to leave it open and not try to shut it. The vilest of sinners, the worst of sinners, may be freely forgiven if they only come to him. The Bible says, Jesus came to where he was and said, Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus, make haste, quickly, come down. For today I must abide at thy house. Whatever needs to be done with God must be done quickly. Because we may not have another opportunity. Quick, come down. Quickly come down now. If God is speaking to you today, then come to him now. Quickly, hear the words of Jesus. Make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. Hear the words, the gracious words of Jesus that say quickly, come on quickly. Because today I must come to live inside of you. Amen. Think about that. What beautiful words. A house that was full of sin. A house that was a house full of selfishness. Is now filled with the son of God. A heart that once lived and only thought of self can be changed. And one last thought. The Bible says when they saw it. He made haste and came down and received him joyfully. He quickly came down and received the Savior joyfully. Have you received Christ joyfully? Have you received him? The Lord Jesus doesn't barge into your heart. The Lord Jesus doesn't push in. In fact, the scriptures say we must receive him. Have you received him? He's a gift. Zacchaeus received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowd around them, they all murmured saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Exactly. Because Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners. And if you can't see yourself as a sinner, then you can't be saved. But the second you see yourself as being utterly unable to save yourself, a sinner, then you're ready. The Bible says in verse number 8, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Here's the last thought. There's always fruit following conversion. Always. If you've been saved, there'll be evidence. This man, two minutes ago, was a wealthy extortioner. And now, instead of taking money, he was giving money. Two minutes ago, he was selfish and only lived for himself and was willing to steal from you to please himself. And now, two minutes later, he's willing to give everything back just to make it right. I can remember uh, one one of Maggie's nephews, Tommy and Maggie, Maggie's nephew, Mickey, passed away not long ago, 54 years of age or something like that. And and Mickey had gone to prison. He was an extortioner when he was a young man. I was asked to take his funeral there a couple of years ago. But Mickey got arrested for defrauding people. And when he was in prison, he was gloriously saved. In fact, Mickey became such an out and out Christian, so wonderfully saved that his family thought he'd gone mad. Do you know what happened when he got out of prison? He went to the bank, withdrew every penny that he had, went into the streets, found every homeless man and dumped bags of money at their feet and got rid of every penny. Because he said he'd gotten all of that money by ill gain. He read this and took it literally. So should we. Nicodemus, same man, got, got, was changed, gloriously changed. Now this man, Zacchaeus, gloriously changed. Look, when God, when God saves you, there ought to be a change, visible, outward change. And here comes, here comes this man, Zacchaeus, once stealing, now giving. And he says, look what he says. I love the words that he says. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give. He didn't say, I'm going to give. Do you know how many Christians have said, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this, and it never happens? But he says, I give. Not I'm going to, now I'm doing it. By the way, if you don't do it now, you may never do it. How many times were you in a meeting and God burned in your heart? Something moved inside of you to take action, and by the time you got home, you'd lost that zeal. You'd lost that fire, something happened, some some water was poured on that fire and you never actually did what you committed to God to do. I do it. Not I will, but I do. I give, I restore. When God moves into someone's heart, there becomes a giving heart. Someone becomes rather a taker and a giver. And then not just that, but then they become a restorer. What an amazing privilege to become a restorer. To go from being a wrecker to a restorer. To go from being someone who used to tear apart to someone who will build up. Now why did he do that? Well, I think it's just like the woman who fell at the feet of Jesus and broke the alabaster box and with her tears washed his feet and with her hair dried his feet and uh, I think she understood to be forgiven much is to love much and is to give much. And here's a man who'd been forgiven much and now he loved the Savior much and he wanted to give much and it all took place in just a few minutes. Some people say, oh, it's a big long process. Well, it might be that it takes a long time for God to wake you up and get your attention. But the matter of salvation is an instant. Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. We didn't wait two years for it to happen conversion is in an instant the events leading up to it I understand may take time hear the word and begin thinking about the word and all of these things but the matter of conversion itself God didn't need years one second bang and here was a man in an instant saved and in an instant changed now I'm sure he had other things he needed to change he probably needed to work on his language and probably needed to work on some other things but at least that change had begun and he was ready now to begin living it out some people get nervous when someone starts living out their faith immediately after they're saved as if they say "Oh, slow down a little bit now <laughs> but actually come on go while the fire is still there go yes. they say that most Christians serve God more in the first six months of their conversion than they do the entire rest of their life why is that? because the fire begins to dwindle go Psalm 116, I think I told you before, was one of the first passages of Scripture that I memorized after God saved me. But in Psalm 116, in verse 12, the psalmist says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits towards me? This is, I'm sure, what Zacchaeus was thinking and Nicodemus and the woman at the well and, and the woman who washed Jesus' feet, Mary. I'm sure this is what they were all thinking. What can I give to God for all that He's done for me? Have you ever thought that before? Have you ever thought to yourself, what can I give to God? And look what he says. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I'll receive salvation. I will take part of that salvation over and over drinking from the cup of salvation so as never to forget what he's done for me. And he says, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all those people I'm going to pay my vows now before the Lord unto the Lord in the presence of all his people I'm not going to wait until my situation becomes more convenient or better was it Festus that said almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian that was Agrippa Festus said later I'd like to hear more about this later you may never have a later. You may never be able to serve him later. And you could sit there and you could grieve over the wasted time that you've already missed or you could determine that I'm going to pay my vows now. No point in looking back over your shoulder and weeping over the opportunities you've missed and the mistakes you've made. No point in doing that. Instead, it's better right now to say from this day forward, by the grace of God, I'll live for him. I'll pay my vows now. I I give. I restore. Now, now, now. That's the evidence of a changed life. And not only the evidence of a changed life, but that is also a way, what shall I render unto the Lord? away. You can't ever pay God back. God doesn't want you to pay him back. But what you can do is show your love and appreciation for what he's done for you. This morning, you may be like Zacchaeus and you need to be saved. Make haste. Make haste today. Maybe you have been saved, but you are still waiting on a more convenient time before you serve him. You're wasting your time. I don't understand how we can receive so much from Christ and give so little. Come on, today's the day. Today's the day to come to Christ. Today's the day to serve Him. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that the door of salvation is open wide. It is open wide and Thy heart towards the lost has not changed. Christ Jesus still is seeking and saving that which is lost. He's coming for sinners. We pray this morning that someone will be saved. But also we pray that thy children, myself included. God, help us please. Help us like Zacchaeus to recognize what we've received and to be willing, Lord, to make amends and also to restore. And we pray unto thee, Lord, restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Help us to redeem the time, knowing that the days are evil, that we're running out of time. And Father, I pray, Lord, stir up thy people, that we might serve thee today. That We might do something for thee today. Forgive us for how we've put off and put off. And we've delayed and delayed. Give us a sense of urgency. We're thankful that even our Savior had a sense of urgency as he moved closer to the day of his own death. Grant unto us such urgency as well. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.